Welcome to the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brandon. And as always, we're brought to you by Phantom Sports Industries. Join us at phantomsportsindustries.com for all your sports section needs on the internet. We have stories about all your favorite teams, all your favorite leagues. Join us at phantomsportsindustry.com. Also listen to our other podcasts on the Phantom Sports Industries Podcast Network. We have the Phantom Football Podcast, Tricky Tricky Takes, and Odds On Favorite. Those guys have a great time on their respective shows. Hope you give them a listen. Check them out. Always a great time with those guys. We do a lot of sharing, a lot of just bouncing on each other's shows and things like that. So listen to those guys as well. They do great work. On this episode of the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast, we welcome on podcast favorite guest, Byron Cobalt. As always, Byron is a great time. And honestly, Byron and I just kind of shot the crap about everything going on football-wise. A lot of coordinator and coaching changes happening in the league. So that got highlighted a lot and just how that kind of affects the way we look at fantasy football, the way we evaluate teams. We also talked about some free agent stuff and just quarterback fluctuation throughout the league and what that might look like come time a couple weeks. We all know how this league is uh, in the offseason. It's kind of funny how the NFL and the NBA have basically become, uh, I don't know, mirror images of each other in certain respects with the way free agency is gone. And uh, it's just not as strong of a free agency year in the NFL, which is interesting. I mean, there's still some noteworthy names, but there seems like there'll be a lot more trades happening. So Byron and I just kind of highlight all of that. And as always, you can find Byron's blog and all of his connections in the podcast description. We're grateful for him and his willingness to come on the pod and just talk ball with us. So without further ado, we're going to hit this intro and Byron and I will see you on the other side. everybody welcome again phantom fantasy football podcast and we're joined by podcast favorite byron cobalt byron i told you i'm gonna get you on once a month and i have not uh failed you on my promise yet so um we're we're just gonna keep on keeping on you're old reliable at this point and we appreciate it always bringing us some great perspective how you doing today Doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Um, glad to see that I have progressed from from the battles up through to become a podcast favorite. Always happy to uh, see that um, that forward progression in life. So uh, thanks for having me on. Excited to continue to be old, reliable, assuming that I don't fall asleep because my kids <laughs> are waking me up at 5 a.m. these days. So, Well, uh, my my kid is waking me up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. So 
according to the chiropractor, though, I have an abnormal amount of energy. I guess that's why I somehow find time to do this. And I'm not trying to brag about it at all. But I just I, I guess I just don't need as much sleep. Talk to me when I'm 30, though. I'm sure that'll catch up to me. Yeah, pay for it eventually. But hey, you know, that's uh, uh, that's a secret about the podcast is that it actually just exudes energy and anybody that listens to it can pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And to be frank, Byron, I'm in the bowels with you. It's just that now we're sitting in the same room virtually. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, let, let's not get it twisted here. We're not breaking any podcast records yet. Um, so... Nonetheless, this is this is always fun because uh, it's it's great to talk shop with you and we we just bounce a lot of stuff off each other. And, uh, you know, it as I was saying earlier, it's a shame that I didn't hit the record button sooner because I kind of sent you a very loose prompt for what to talk about tonight. But I just part of the premise is like as a fantasy football junkie, like these are the dog days but there's still a lot of information and fantasy football uh the fantasy football dad and I talked about this that this is the time for you to get better as a fantasy football player because we can see how the inner workings of a team kind of fluctuate and a lot of coordinators and coaches are shifting front office personnel alike and uh soon we'll see uh we have uh we had the senior bowl, which was really interesting in terms of who was standout performers there. Um, some players that I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't pay the most attention to in college football, partially because I had my, my daughter was born in the middle of the college football season. So I wasn't able to keep up with everything like I l- enjoy doing. I had to kind of limit it to my badgers and then, um, and fantasy football with the podcast. So, um, you know, I had a, I had divided uh, attention at that point, but now that I'm catching up with everything and watching film, I'm seeing some really interesting standouts, um, some interesting players leaving school early to enter the draft that should make for some interesting, uh, context for the shelf life of players entering the league. As we talked about trends with running backs and, getting younger and younger and then um combine coming up and then we have the draft and then free agency so a lot of fun things to talk about but i think i want to get back to the conversation we were having with coordinators and coaches um kind of you know we're we're in the roulette uh situation right now uh I don't know what's been one of the more interesting moves that you've seen so far for me I, it had to be Bienemy going to Washington uh, and just, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in Kansas City to understand where Eric Bieniemy's shortcomings were. That Kansas City did not view him as assistant coach worthy, and he was just looking for that other opportunity. Now we've seen this happen before for the likes of Lafleur, um, the. Packers head coach leaving Los Angeles to go to Tennessee just so he could be the play caller because that's not what happens in Sean McVay's orbit. Obviously, McVay's the ones on the ones and twos with the play calls, and then that led to LaFleur's opportunity so uh, to be the head coach. So we're just seeing a lot of fluctuation right now, and I think it's very similar um, 
things happening across the board. So what's what's been some interesting stuff you've noticed at least? Sure, I'll say that the Eric Bieniemy move is interesting because Bieniemy also has been a, at least in the public, has been a head coaching candidate uh, for quite a while now, and he hasn't gotten it. Um, it's it reminds me of like the Marvin Lewis situation when he was the defensive coordinator for the Ravens for a while. Oh yeah, it took a while for him to actually find a head coaching gig. Um, he obviously kept it for a long time once he got it with the Bengals. That might be partially because the Bengals have a tendency to hold on to their head coaches for a while more so than mm-hmm. him necessarily being an, an incredible head coach. But um, it always it's interesting to always know like what what is it that's holding them back in terms of their opinions of potential. Uh, potential new bosses, potential, um, you know, when they're on the slate to be hired. So looking forward to seeing what happens with Eric Bieniemy in Washington. I'm not, uh, I have one that I think is maybe a little bit under the radar. And I think the Patriots going with Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator is going to be an interesting change. There's something about, now this is the second time the Patriots have now gone under Belichick to a previous offensive coordinator. After they went back to Josh McDaniels, we know Bill O'Brien has been the offensive coordinator for the Patriots before. I also remember, so fun fact, um, I Bill O'Brien got in a shouting match famously with uh, their uh, wide receiver Tyquan Underwood way back when. <laughs> Tyquan Underwood, I actually played against in high school, so um, that was that's one one of my few connections to the NFL. That's within you know two degrees of separation. I wasn't like friends sure. with him. I played against him. He joked me out once. I was playing outside linebacker. He was a quarterback actually in high school. But anyway, um, I think Bill O'Brien going back to be the offense coordinator, coordinator for the Patriots is big. I don't know if they're going to keep going with Mac Jones next year. I imagine they will. Um, I think there a lot of Mac Jones taking a step back, and as a result, a lot of the Patriots offense taking a bit of a step back came from their strange setup at offense coordinator with Matt Patricia. So I think the Patriots, unfortunately, take a step forward. I say unfortunately as a Jets fan. I'm always sensitive to when the Patriots are going to, um, you know, are putting together a, a stronger team. Yeah, it's that's going to be an interesting one, especially because, like, look at what O'Brien has had to go through to get back into a leadership type position in an organization. Basically, had to start over. It's kind of funny how some of these noteworthy coaches that have been in the league for a long time, they have to go to Nick Saban for a couple seasons to, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, what do you call it? Like make sure I haven't lost my fastball. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Coach rehab. Yep. In, in, in Tuscaloosa that I, it's just hilarious to me how many of those guys end up between Belichick and Saban. They just kind of, go back and forth and it's like Belichick's like can you coach Alabama and I guess if you can make it with the 18 to 23 year olds you're good to go uh back to the big leagues if you if you prove that you're worthy come up kiss the ring talk about the Patriot way and then you're back on your merry way but anything would be better than what the Pats had last season with that hybrid model um one thing I noticed that was interesting about that hybrid model with the two coordinator system that the Pats were trying to do, there were the 49ers tried to do a similar setup too. And I didn't realize how big of a blow 
Mike McDaniel leaving that whole infrastructure for Shanahan really kind of affected their offense. And so they had the run game coordinator and the pass game coordinator calling the shots in San Francisco, and they haven't named a new offensive coordinator yet, which I find fascinating. And get this, D'Amico Ryan took the pass game coordinator um, just a second here while I get his name up here. But yeah, D'Amico Ryan took Bobby Slowick and now San Francisco, even though they have Shanahan, they do have a hole at that offensive coordinator position. Uh, And I'm not sure to what extent that matters because I'm pretty sure Shanahan just calls all the shots, but it's just Chris Forrester right now, the run game coordinator that's there. And I don't think he's going to get the, he's going to get the bump to just full fledged OC. I don't know what you know about that, but I found that kind of interesting that the Pats weren't the only team to do kind of that weird hybrid model. Yeah. I think there's something we said for very successful coaches like Belichick. And I would put, I would call Kyle Shanahan to be very successful at this point. Shanahan's up there. Yeah. He just doesn't have the Super Bowls. Yeah. Right. But they um they have enough clout that they can experiment and if there's a one in ten chance they strike gold, then it pays off. And if not, they can just fall back on doing what they do. So Kyle Shanahan's shake up here, it the fact that Kyle Shanahan's still there, I'm not too concerned about the offense. It might not be the best situation for a young quarterback to develop if you don't have a great relationship or an offensive coordinator that's there for you. I mean, because, you know, Kyle Shanahan's attention is across the whole team. There's a reason why quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators matter for quarterback development. Yeah. But overall, I think they'll be fine. Um, one thing that I'm always sensitive to is also how well coaches' successors do um, because it may put in context how good um, they really were at their job or how much it was the situation. So the fact that D'Amico Ryans was so good taking over for Robert Sala makes me wonder. I mean, to be honest, the Jets were really good defensively uh, this past year. It makes me wonder if Sala was all it was cracked up to be or if it's possible that Ryan's is just as good of a coach as Robert Sala, just with you know a little bit of different, slightly different strategy, slightly different personality. Uh, it's also D'Amico Ryan's is one of those guys that makes me feel old because I remember him when he was oh a rookie gosh. for the Texans. This is... This is bizarre. Like, I, he was the first in the string of, like, a lot of those Alabama linebackers to make it yep. be, like, a first round, or I think he was maybe the first pick of the second round, or, like, an early pick that makes an impact. And he was really followed by, like, Rolando McClain, um, uh, Dante Hightower, uh, and it just keeps on going. But they, uh, it's weird now that he's the head coach. It's um, – it's, anybody that, has, uh, that remembers that, it knows exactly what I'm talking about. No, for sure. And I'm getting now I'm getting to the age where some of my favorite college football players have been coaching my favorite team, the Wisconsin Badgers. And now Jim Leonard just interviewed for the Eagles job. And I think he's a top candidate to get it because TJ Edwards is one of the was one of the best linebackers this season, according to Pro Football Focus. And that was Jim Leonard's coach in college. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I knew it wasn't going to work out for him at Wisconsin when Fickle was bringing in all of his guys, which I was really hoping that it would have worked. But I understand he wanted the head coaching job. So 
now he's going to go to Philly, I think. He just interviewed this week. I wouldn't be surprised, especially since Jonathan Gannon is now in Arizona. And it and who is it? Uh, Shane Sarkeesian is in Indy now. So there goes that uh, that Super Bowl. Like, oh, you had two really good coordinators, Sirianni. It'd be a shame if we offered them head coaching jobs. Now they had basically, it's not like they have to start from ground zero because I think Sirianni is a really good coach, but it's just kind of that adage where it's like, you know, coaches that help lead units to the Super Bowl all of a sudden just end up in, you know, all these vacancies that need to get filled. So uh, I'm excited for Gannon in, uh, in Arizona. I think that really helps their defense. But what I'm interested is to see how Drew Petzing does with Kyler Murray in particular, the new offensive coordinator there. So that that I know I just threw a bunch of names out there, but it's just a lot of question marks right now. Oh, also another fun take. I think the reason why Sean McVay hired Mike LaFleur as quickly as he did was because he knew that there was a dual system in San Francisco going on, and he knew that his buddy Kyle would be looking for an OC. So he took their buddy before Kyle could. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't be shocked about that. Yeah, he's uh, got to yeah. replace. He's probably not going to call plays. Mike LaFleur probably has a little bit to no. go before he takes a play caller job again. But he's um, yep. he's on the um, he's on the Shanahan. Uh, McVay, I guess it's a combination coaching tree at this point. It all goes back to Mike Shanahan ultimately, right? But yep. um, yeah, no, but I just uh, I just figured I'd throw that. That's that's my uh, that's my hot take was McVay McVay knew that uh, Kyle would go for Mike if uh, if if anything were to happen, and uh, yeah, sure enough, D'Amico took the pass game coordinator to Houston at to be his OC. And now Shanahan is kind of stuck. Like, I, I mean, he doesn't need a coordinator, but it helps to have somebody at least for co- for cohesion. So, yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah, I was just going to say for uh, going back to the Colts and Eagles for a little bit, though, Go for it. um, yeah. it's funny because you look at just look at the history there. They keep trading coaches or at least hiring each other's offensive coordinators. This is three in a right. row now. Right. So you had under Doug Peterson, you had Frank Reich, who got hired to be the Colts coach now. Uh, Colts offense coordinator uh, Nick Sirianni gets hired to be the Eagles coach, and now they got with Shane Shane Steichen. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly. Steichen, how that's it. Steichen, it. Yep, but it's Steichen. It, so yeah. that means that what's probably going to happen is maybe Nick Sirianni has a Jim Harbaugh situation, and maybe this doesn't get along with Harry Roseman, and Eagles got to hire someone else in two or three years, and it's going to be Jim Bob Cooter, who's um, nice to see a Jim Bob back in a offense coordinator role, just because his name is Jim Bob. <laughs> I kind of missed him from the Lions days, but. Yeah, I guess like yeah. the money's on him to be the next Eagles coach after Nick Sirianni, whenever that is, because clearly uh, <laughs> there is a um, there's a bit of a war yeah. going on of trying to you know scoop up the heir appearance here. Incestuous relationship yeah. between those uh, <laughs> HR departments there, or whoever's yeah. doing. It. I don't know what Ursay is. Uh, I, it's just so coincidental. I don't know how else to describe it. it it's like. You had to go for another Philly guy, and I know that they're not like Philly guys because all these coaching staffs aren't really from their the teams they coach. But it, it's just it just feels incestuous at this point for Ursay to do this. So, 
Um, and it'll be interesting in Indy too, because they still have a defensive coordinator they need to hire. And uh, Bubba Ventrone, special teams coordinator, just interviewed with the Browns. And he is a former Cleveland Brown himself. So there's a chance that he'll be joining Jim Schwartz and company over there in Cleveland. I, I wouldn't be surprised by it, honestly. Um, it, but, you know, stranger things have happened. And I said Jim Schwartz, but it's actually Kevin Stefanski. Jim Schwartz is the defensive coordinator. So I'm getting all these names mixed up, doing all this research. So it's just one of those things I guess comes with it because they just fired their special teams coordinator last week. So um, there's there's there'll be interesting uh, fluctuation going on there. So and I think imagine, like, uh, oh. say, can you imagine if like the company, like you know, our day jobs were like this, where like once a year everyone just gets fired, then gets hired from the neighboring company, and like that would be so stressful. But you know, I don't think we get paid enough for that. But anyway, go. Ahead. I just want to. They get paid. They get yeah. paid enough for uh, you know it is, str- and at, at the human level, it is stressful for them. Like, look at the whole. Look at what happened with Brian Flores. You want to talk about stressful, like. That whole fiasco was just annoying, I'm sure, from his vantage point. Like thank goodness he had a, a friend in a friend in him, like Mike Tomlin. And, and okay, hot back to B enemy. How bad of an interview must he have been to not get any of those head coaching opportunities when the trend was going? NFL teams wanted to hire black coaches. And the Texans decided to go with Lovey Smith over Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I think my only explanation is because I actually think like right that probably played it, it played a part in the hiring of Lovey Smith. Like uh-huh. he, was, he was never going to stay for the long term, but he was no, he was know, a he was placeholder. Hold, he was a placeholder to keep the seat warm for the real guy, who's I think D'Amico Ryan's is D'Amico Ryan future yeah. of the Texans, but. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the enemy had a little bit of a, uh, had some legal trouble. I think it's, oh. becoming, it's, it's a while ago now. Um, it's but, so old. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's there. I mean, I don't know how he might, um, I mean, I imagine that comes up in the interviews, the NFL head coaching interviews are I imagine pretty, can be pretty difficult if it's not, doesn't, um, if it's not like two friends that have worked together for a while, you know, the NFL does have like probably a. Not a, I guess kind of a nepotism problem, but like you hire your friends a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was on these interviews, you also hear about like the type of interviews that players would get, like with uh, like say the Dolphins brass, um, and just these absurd questions they get asked. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he just didn't um, didn't necessarily answer it the best way. Also, it could just be that he was just number two for so many different jobs and. Eventually, it got to the point of where teams didn't want to um, be the team to pull the trigger. They think that everyone else might know something they don't, even if they like him the most. Be like, eh, but why did the last eight teams pass on Eric Bieniemy? Maybe we shouldn't be the one. Maybe we, he looks great. Maybe we're missing something here because there's the league is also a bit of a copycat league. It is. It's it's bizarre to me, um, but I guess you know, like I said. Matt LaFleur had to do a sim- a similar route to get to Green Bay. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities that this is a stepping stone that the enemy needs to prove himself as the 
main guy calling the shots on the offense that hasn't had, I mean, yeah, hasn't had consistent success, but has the pieces to have success. If he could pull a Brian, if he could pull a Brian Dable on that offense in Washington, I think he has a head coaching job next year. Or if he can convert the offense the way that Matt LaFleur had to convert Tennessee's offense to a power run offense with all those injuries they had the year that he was offensive coordinator there and Derrick Henry just exploded onto the scene, I there's a chance that the enemy could end up in a head coaching seat in uh that would be what now 2024 so it it can happen quick yep yeah and it's uh especially if i mean they may end up adding a quarterback in the offseason but if they go forward and it's like all of a sudden sam howell ends up performing under the enemy when he was someone who was like maybe a prospect earlier in his college career and then fell off a little bit uh, but still has that potential i think a lot of people think he has that potential yeah i think they'd Someone's going to have to hire him. Like there's, there's going to be no other choice at that point, no other excuse. He'll be the play caller, and he'll have demonstrated that he can bring success to a team outside of the shadow of Andy Reid. Which, I mean, Andy Reid too. Like if you want to talk about things to pay attention to um, as fantasy managers and knowing where the changes are, Andy Reid was always one of those where yeah, you had to pay attention to who's going to be taking you know different roles within his offense. So. Um, it kind of, it, I think it kind of brings the conversation full circle a little bit because one of the first like really strong insights I remember about Andy Reid as a coach was when um, LaShawn McCoy became their starting right back and a lot of people were drafting him in the second round after we had seen years of Brian Westbrook as like a sure. top three fantasy player. Um, so again, like just more things to pay attention to. Ultimately, one thing right, it comes down to this fantasy manager is just know where the risk is and know where the opportunities are based on where the spots are changing. Like say even... Um, the Ravens, like now having Todd Monkin come in as the offensive coordinator, Greg Roman had a very specific style. Um, and that's besides the fact that they're probably having a different quarterback next year. Like the offense mm-hmm. is going to look very different. Todd Monkin sitting there like, what do I do with five tight ends? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that that all could start on other teams. It's like, what? <laughs> Who are my wide receivers? <laughs> right. Yeah, do we flip the um, uh, you know, we flip the number of seats in the uh, uh, in the position rooms? Like we're supposed to have more chairs in the receiver room. Why are all the chairs in the tight end room? <laughs> Wait, my running back can only run on one leg. Watching yeah, right. J.K. Dobbins film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think Dobbins in uh, Munkin's system could really thrive if he if he bounces back. Um, they said that last season for Dobbins was going to be kind of the the get right year just to make sure he can be out there to play this coming season. If he's going to be like actually productive, it's going to be 2024 or it's not going to be at all. I'm 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 going to stay I'm going to I'm going to plant my uh my take there um for that's going to be the start of my takes at least going into 2024. I don't know if you share a similar sentiment, but I don't know. Let's talk about some incumbent players, maybe some free agents. Who who do you like? What, what situations do you like? I mean, we just talked about a whole bunch of coaching changes. I guess who's, who's sitting pretty right now with the, 
with new situations or consistency, you know, I, I don't know from, from your vantage point, what are you seeing? What are you seeing lately? Yeah. So, um, I actually have at this point in the off season have been more focused on, on the changes to be honest. So like just sure. for example, some news today with Saquon Barkley potentially having, um, his future being with the giants is a little bit lower than maybe we thought it was at the end of the regular or at the end of the playoff when they lost the playoff. same with Daniel Jones. So I've seen at this point, too many running backs that have changed situation and just were never able to recapture the magic. If no. Daquan Barkley changes teams, you need to be prepared for like a Chris Johnson type situation where he's just not um, going to fully be what he was. I mean, granted he like it's, it's worse when you take a lot of time off, it's worse when you have an injury. We know Saquon has injury history, but he would be coming off of a, a full season here. I can't honestly. I'm having trouble coming up with running backs that um, in the last few years really changed teams and then went off. Like it used to be that you would see some players like Clinton Portis maybe wasn't quite as good with the you know with Washington as he was with Denver, yeah. but he was still pretty successful. Stephen Davis and going to the Panthers from. Um, from Washington or I have that the other way around. Um, but yeah, he was fine when he changed teams, but it's, it's rare that I, I feel like I don't have a great example recently of a running back who was in his prime changed teams and then was as great of a fantasy asset as he was before. So I'm, I have some concerns about Saquon Barkley. So I ha- I have three from recent memory that I'm thinking of. And uh, so we'll go in this order here. I think we got Kareem Hunt. He had a stint where he was he was quality. It wasn't consistent, but he had he was just robbing Chubb two years ago, and it was annoying. Um, Cordell Patterson started getting more production when he was in Atlanta versus when he was that utility guy in New England, but also he hadn't taken on the hits that most running backs normally would have at his current age had he been playing running back his whole career but he had that stint where he was a wide out in minnesota for the longest time and then i i would say actually in i'd say jamal williams is probably the best example of a guy that is currently in his quote-unquote prime who changed teams and I think it's just because Detroit is giving him more opportunities. I think he's also gone out and earned it. But I I, fe- I think that he still has some longevity to him. And, okay, I guess, like, got to count McKinnon, too, if I'm going to be going this direction. But that was more so kind of an end of the season, what Kansas City needed. And, uh, you know, Pacheco is going to be, I think, the main squeeze for that team next year. But I think Jamal Williams has some potential to still be the guy in Detroit, um, especially in the, when, when they get inside the 20 yard line, kind of like what Philadelphia does with, with their whole band of uh, Sanders Gainwell and Boston Scott. I think that Jamal Williams will keep doing that. And I'm not sure what Swift is anymore to them, but that that's just something based on what you were saying that I think is could be happening right now. Yeah, and I, I think there is uh, it's a little bit different when it's more like the role player types. Like so, like yeah. Jamal Williams being like a little bit of a split backfield, it's easier to find a role for him. I was thinking it's in ter- really in terms of like the high end fantasy production. Like take for example, okay. yeah, Kareem Hunt, his rookie year with the Chiefs, he was 
Killer. looking like he was going to be like a top five fantasy running back for the first few years of his career. Obviously, his um, yeah, the incident, Domestic. his career ends. Yeah, his career ended with the uh, ended with the Chiefs, but and he still had someone in the tank. I mean, you know, Nick Chubb's a very good running back, so maybe he could have continued the production. Also, Browns with um, having Stump Mitchell as the I guess seems like the best running back coach of all time in what he was able to do, but. Um, sure. He was pretty safe there. That would, he could have been if he had, you know, if it weren't for Nick Chubb, maybe he would have been the exception to the rule here. But um, yeah, with the other players like um, uh, like McKinnon's bounced around a little bit, and he right still has a little bit of a, a split role uh, with Pacheco, even though he had those great games at the end of the season. Obviously, it wasn't enough that they decided to make him the bell cow um, because as he's not that type of a player at this point, and Pacheco is. I, my favorite, I, I made the comment before just because I liked it so much, is just the way Pacheco runs. Like the, um, it's like the, uh, it, it looks like he's really angry when he's running. He's running yeah. like he's, um, he's got the power up in Mario. Like he's got the power of Star. It's just, uh, it looks different than other players that look like they're kind of gliding. I guess the, the other player I would have concern with this year too is probably Josh Jacobs because if he does change situations, he was finally found the magic this past year with the Josh McDaniels offense. And if he's going to go somewhere else, it's possible that someone in your league thinks that he's going to be the same player. And I don't know that I would be that fantasy manager. Yeah. And I'm not saying like Jacobs is a stay away kind of guy, but if you, you have to find him at a value, you can't, you can't overshoot him. Um, You know, now we're talking pre-draft stuff, but don't go reaching for him by any stretch. Like, It'll be interesting to see where he ends up in mock drafts uh, come time June. I think that'll be a – and we'll know what team he's going to be on too, hopefully, by then. So, And uh, you know what, Byron? We're, we're going to sound stupid if we're going to talk about this subject with running backs and we don't talk about Christian McCaffrey um, changing teams but also ending up in the hands of the best – run game wizard in the NFL. So obviously his durability has always been a question mark. And I think he proved that he has staining power and San Francisco has some really good guys in the wings. Uh, David Price, Mason and Mitchell. Uh, And so if they can somehow figure out a way to do a multi-back system, I think that bodes extremely well for McCaffrey and he could be an anomaly to what we're talking about as being a common threat to running back careers when they change teams after being a, after being the workhorse for their in- previous team. Yeah. Yeah. McCaffrey is definitely an interesting one too, because he's a little bit older at this point. He's not at the age where you start to say like, you know, he's going to fall apart or anything like that. Like, we do with every running back eventually. Um, he may end up with a little bit of longer career because he gets to share the share the rock a bit. Um, he, when the first few games of the 49ers started to look like sky was the limit, but it's clear that you know Elijah Mitchell still got the ball a decent amount, uh, especially going to the playoffs. Like how they um, when Elijah Mitchell failed to uh, seal the. Um, I think it sealed the divisional round game. Then they brought McCaffrey back in to do that. I think that's, you know, there were some downsides to not just giving it to McCaffrey, you know, for 80% of your volume, but uh, I don't think we're going to see another 
um, which was the 2019, the record season we had for McCaffrey, where he was like basically the best fantasy season since LaDainian Tomlinson in 2006. I don't think we're going to see that from him again. I don't think, I think they're going to spread the ball around too much, but um, I think it's fair to say that McCaffrey will stay, will be a very good fantasy asset. Um, Just think about it. It is crazy the amount of volume that McCaffrey got um, with the Panthers. Like he was their entire offense for a bit. That's crazy the amount of volume he even got in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I was surprised. He's um it's funny, I was really expecting Debo Samuel to have a little bit more of the same role he had in twenty twenty. Uh or sorry, twenty twenty one, where he ended up yeah. being a, like a de facto running back at the end of the year. Um granted you wanted to make sure you were preserving your receivers. Their receiver depth was, was, wasn't as great as a running back depth. They didn't need them to do that. But you think just purely from a threat standpoint, um, they would have kept that going. I think that Shanahan really wishes he could run the triple option, but the, the, the running quarterback that he always has to start the season just ends up getting injured. So he can never actually run it. So then he has to have McCaffrey or Debo have to play a receiver role. Uh, I always find it funny that injuries always force Shanahan to be more conventional than he probably really wants to be. And, uh, it, we we saw it with <laughs> him having to go back to Jimmy G and then um, having to go to Brock Purdy. He had to keep it so simple for Purdy uh, going into the playoffs. And credit to Brock Purdy to do what he did. But, boy, it, it was slim pickings for Shanahan in terms of what playbook he could utilize <laughs> for the, for towards the end of the season. Probably not what he wanted. Um, moving on to wide receivers, this free agency class is not very strong at all, and I don't think we're going to see the shakeup that we saw in the wide receiver market, starting with uh, Christian Kirk last year, and then it going Devontae Adams wanting to go to Las Vegas to be with his best friend from college, who ends up getting getting walked. By the way, this is this. This cracks me up so much is that the Raiders used Derek Carr to get Devontae Adams, cuts Derek Carr, and now there's now Devontae Adams is sitting there like either I'm a genius because I got my family closer to the West Coast, which is where I wanted to be, so I was closer to family, but I also wanted to play with Derek. So it's like if I'm Devontae Adams right now and I'm sitting there with Mark Davis and company, like I'm just wondering what is going through his head right now. Like I'd feel so used as a human. Like I, I don't know. That That's just one of those scenarios that I think about. And then obviously Devontae's situation led to the Tyreek Hill move to Miami. And uh, then we had uh, A.J. Brown to Philadelphia for I don't know why Tennessee did that. That was really stupid. Um, now A.J. Brown – tweeting out that he basically was telling Philadelphia's defense all of the hand signals Tennessee was doing because they didn't change them at all since he had been there. So there's a lot of fluctuation in the wide receiver market and just a lot of hilarious things. I just don't anticipate that happening. Uh, It's just, I mean, you have every New York giant receiver is a unrestricted free agent, except for Wando Robinson. That's hilarious. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like looking at, um, all right. So who's this year's AJ Brown? Let me check my notes. Um, is it, uh, yeah. Byron Pringle, I think will be, uh, no, it's, there's no one out there that's going to be the same degree. Yeah. Sterling Shepard, he'll end up somewhere. He'll probably end up getting a, like a 10% roster percentage at some point this year, no matter where he shows up. But as DJ Chark, um, is a possibility. Marvin Jones is a possibility that he could be good. Alan Lazard, uh, Juju is probably the biggest name, but Juju, he's biggest I mean, name, I think his, not the biggest stats, right? He's um, it, I think everyone's realized now his you know his huge season as the number two for Antonio Brown was largely because of Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger, um, and it wasn't like he was the uh, like the second coming of Tory Holt with these like gaudy numbers he's putting up. Yeah, um, the, the shadow, or you know, under the shadow of another star, and then he would just take over. That never happened. Um, even though he was, uh, I think Juju was um, maybe the first. I think he was the first NFL player born in the two thousands, if I remember right. He was the youngest player in the NFL for like two years. He's like strangely young, um, but that's just uh, yeah. I'm a, it's unfortunate though too that the um, uh, they're going to break up the legion of last names probably in Kansas City. Um, with Edwards Alaire, uh, Valdez Scantling, and Smith Schuster, I was hoping that they would, I don't know, swing a trade for Donovan Peoples Jones or um, nothing to like write home to about and... there. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know, right? That would have been funny <laughs> if they got Peoples Jones. So, I here's a couple guys I like. I like um, I like the value for Darius Slayton. I like Marquez Callaway. Um, let's see here. Who else do we got? Oh gosh. I could see it happen though too. I like uh I like Rivercraft. Um the, these dolphin receivers that don't get a lot of shine here. Um Rivercraft, Trent Sherfield. They played some solid snaps this year. Noah Brown. Yeah, like you said, uh Miko Hardman's out there. Marquis Marquise Goodwin. Um he's when he's on when he's decent. He's fast. He's yes. like uh, he'll hang on. He, he seems to be hanging on, kind of like a lot of the fast guys do. Like Dante Stallworth hung on for a long time. Like he just, if Great. they're fast, there's you, there's a role for you on a lot of teams. A lot of teams still they try to yeah. build their receiving cores like basketball teams where they have like five different roles they try to fill. And one of them is the uh, deep threat. So be great we'll, if um, you need a special teams guy too. For sure. And then uh, I like Jacoby Myers also. I think there's value there still for him. Um, I don't think it's going to be like uh, he's not going to like, what is it, stack your sheets with reception stats, but like he's good, he's serviceable, and uh, yeah, I'd I'd want him on the Packers. Um, So personally, he's a good run blocker, so. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, T.Y. Hilton's out there. I when he showed up for the Cowboys, I like forgot he was still. I thought he retired. I know. But, yeah. Top, t- and then uh, since we're on this topic here, tight ends an interesting subject as well. Gesicki's going to be looking for a new home, and rightfully so, the way that he was underutilized. And then Hayden Hurst is interesting. Hayden Hurst, I, think, I um just I, I never 
Hayden Hurst is the latest example in like the failure of any tight end to replicate the Austin Hooper season in Atlanta. Just it's sure. Um, I Hayden Hurst also is someone that you think was. Um, I always expected him to break out a little bit, and it's just not coming true. That happens with so many tight ends, though. It's like they no. have so much talent, it doesn't fall through. Maybe we'll see if Jelani Woods falls in that category down the road. Although he's I think, not a free agent. Yeah, I think Hayden tries to stay in Cincinnati. I think he had a good thing going with Burrow, um, and I would want to maintain that. Similar with Ingram, if I'm Jacksonville, I think I'm going to try to do everything in my power to keep him because – he was developing a good connection there with Lawrence. So I, th- I feel like with tight end, having that consistency and that relationship with a quarterback goes so long. It's so tough to be a new tight end in a new system. Um, but yeah, it, it's not a it's not a plentiful market by any stretch from the wide receiver and tight end positions. So we'll see what happens. Teams are going to have to move some cap space around. There's going to be some big cap hits. You look at the likes of Tampa Bay, they're going to have to take off some weight there from making sure they had a team around Brady, like the Packers potentially. I mean, there's going to be some moves happening that are unexpected by teams that have heavy caps that are holding heavy bags. It's going to happen. Yeah, I could. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah we see maybe more trades than usual because of the lack of free agent options. Um, yeah, there's, that usually it, happens. Yeah, um, trades I think are becoming more and more common in the NFL too, uh, and teams more quickly yeah. moving into rebuild territory if they don't think they have the right mix and they don't want to pay the pay the salary. By the way, is Robert Tunyon any good? I don't. I don't never thought he was that good. Is he actually good or is he? Um, uh, gonna be a name you forget about in a matter of like eighteen months. So, um, Packer bias put aside. I I love the dude. He's a really cool guy. His his story coming up from Indiana State to um, being on the practice squad for the Lions and then getting signed to the Packers practice squad and then getting brought up. He has one of the cooler NFL stories for a player. Um, I have a ton of respect for him. He fits Green Bay to a T, but 2020, he had such a crazy good year. I just don't think that it's going to ever come to that again. And I think the Packers need to look for some other resources in the tight end department because Mercedes Lewis will come back if they give him like a good enough deal. He still feels like he has uh, something in the tank to offer, but I I just don't know where the Packers are going as a franchise yet. Um, I need to see what happens with the quarterback situation um, to really get a grip on where the Packers are going. The Packers do need veteran presence though. And Lewis and Tanyan both offer that especially in that tight end room. But I think they also need more youth at that position too, which is where I think they're going in the draft. So I don't know. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I, I have to believe it to see it. Is Robert Tanyan worth the $3.7 million that they're calling market value? I'm not sure if that's in Green Bay. So I think he might be worth more like $2 million if he tests the open market more. But... We'll see what happens. He's got an agent to figure that out for him. Yeah. 
His Although, injury. His injury in 2021 really set him back. Yeah. Yeah, because he had a few good games in there. Well, I guess um, uh, there's a chance that right the Packers could have a little bit more cap room than they have had if um, you know they do they pull a 2008 and change shades of green for their quarterback. Which if they if they do that, besides the fact that I'll be throwing <laughs> you know a constant a continuous party for like the next three months. Um, I will then get ready. Like I'll put on the calendar that Jordan Love will be traded to the Jets in 2038. I think, uh, because clearly that's what the plan is: is that the Packers get the quarterback, they get one Super Bowl in 15 years out of him, and then he moves on to the Jets. But we'll see. I don't know. What do you think's gonna? I'm, I actually am strangely hopeful that Rogers is gonna end up with the Jets. I imagine you're. I, I guess you said you you don't know where you're feeling. I, I I wonder what it's like to be in the position of a team that actually has had a quarterback for a while. Sure. So I guess the best adjective to describe me is agnostic. I'm stuck. I'm I'm really stuck with where I sit with all of this. I just want to see. Okay, so I heard something interesting today on uh, Wisconsin uh, radio. I listen to on the iHeart app. I have my favorite Wisconsin sports talk uh, show that I always listen to. And they said something really interesting about this whole situation. Aaron Rodgers has the ability to call an audible from a play that the Packers ran 10 years ago. But everybody else that he plays with on the field does not have that to go back to because everybody that's on the field with him hasn't played in the NFL that long or hasn't watched that film that Aaron Rodgers is pulling from his memory bank. We've seen this with certain audibles he's called to receivers in certain play situations with these rookies this season. And I wonder if Matt LaFleur, even though he's going to say, yeah, I want Rodgers back. I love working with Aaron. I wonder if deep down inside Matt LaFleur is thinking, I want a guy that I can call the plays for, and I know what's going to happen on the field when I call this play. I think that there's been a lot of sets that Aaron Rodgers has called audibles out of that have led to very bad plays, especially some of the third and short situations where they should be running the ball and he's trying to throw a 20-yard dart into double coverage teams wanted Aaron to even throw the ball this year and they couldn't they couldn't figure it out and i think that there is something wrong with the way that LaFleur wants to run the the team and the offense but you have Aaron Rodgers who's so experienced and so crafty at what he does that i think there's a dissonance and i'm not sure what the resolution is I sometimes worry that Aaron Rodgers wants to play mind games with the defense more than actual football. And it's just something that I've thought about the past four or five years. And it's it's been impressive watching what he's been capable of with LaFleur in that offensive system. But I just don't think they jive. And Aaron's even said he, that he prefers the West Coast system, but yet he wanted to work with a guy 
like McVeigh, like Shanahan. So they got LaFleur. And I think they had their shot in 2020. And Tampa Tom stomped them out in Green Bay. And I just think that that was it. And I think now we're pounding sand at this point, trying to reinvent the wheel. We need some change. And uh, I guess that's the most Packers talk I've given in a while on this podcast. But that's an honest that I feel like that's a pretty honest assessment of where we are right now. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? You've watched a lot of football, too. So tell me what you think. Well, if um, if his issue is that there's too much, um, you know, there's too much, I guess, football baggage with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur that just don't mix. I guess it's like they're both complex recipes. And when you're done with them, you can't really mix them together almost. That's the case. I would hope that that slate would get wiped clean if he does start with another team. Yeah. Um, Because like you look at um, playing mind games, like the only mind games that Zach Wilson's playing the Jets are with his um, his, his friends, his mom's friend, I guess. But I don't know. He's like he's uh, he's not able to um, get it. Um, I don't know. It's for whatever reason we haven't been able to really develop a quarterback since Chad Pennington. So this anyone that actually has even just just will just give him whatever you need like you don't with Nathaniel Hackett as our offense coordinator he's Jets fans if if we don't get someone like Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers that's going to single-handedly raise the offense up Hackett's going to be quickly become an enemy of Jets fans because he his dad was already known as Paul Can Hackett when he was the offense coordinator for the Jets under Herm Edwards like there's he's going to have a short lease or they, they remember all these strange clock management situations with the field and he was fired after, you know, didn't even make a full season in Denver. So and we, as I can speak for Jets fans to say, we would love to have Aaron Rodgers of all his faults included. Um, I know. I, I imagine the Raiders, you know, that would be very ironic if the Raiders came, you know, came full circle and Devontae got Aaron Rodgers back just now, this time in Oakland. That'd be interesting. I guess Tennessee is a possibility too. Yeah, so interesting thing about Tennessee, Aaron is building a house in Franklin and that could be very appealing to him to want to be there. Um so that so I that's one thing I do know um that could sway that that makes Tennessee a surprising uh a horse in the race, I guess. Yeah, I have to check to see what the latest odds were because I think the um, around the um, like the pro and golf tournament, like the Pro Bowl, like the Raiders sure. became the heavy favorites to land them. But um, yeah, at this point, there's so many spots to look at for rumors. I think um, like if you listen to, I don't listen to them all the time, but if you listen to the Pat McAfee show, which is a lot of connections to like Rogers' circle, it sounds like they're thinking he wants to go to the Jets. I guess. Um, yeah, but anything's on the table. There's the whole comment like Devontae should buy him a house in you know near Las Vegas. And, um, I just don't think yeah. Aaron is a big New York guy, and I it, it's gonna at the end of the day, it's going to be what team is dumb enough to give the Packers two first round picks for him. That's that's what's gonna happen here, and I think that Mark Davis is the one that would do that, and. Because I don't know any, I don't know any other front office that would do that. You know that Tennessee is kind of skittish right now where they are. You know they just changed offensive coordinators, front office people, 
Vrabel is probably just frustrated with how things have been, especially the way the past season's gone with injuries and everything like that, the whole A.J. Brown situation. So I, I don't know what has to happen. Tennessee, I don't know. I wish I had more of an insight into what other league executives are thinking in regards to Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are very similar where I, I think their relationship with football has gotten, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like a hello darkness, mild friend for both of them where like they understand they need to be quarterback. And, but I, I don't know their, their worlds around them seem to be so different from every other football player. Like, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, compared to Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, it just seems like night and day because those three guys, they're all ball all the time. And Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, they just seem to have everything else going on. And I don't, I, it's, it, you want to, you, you know that when, you know, put their foot to the fire, they're going to say, no, I'm all ball all the time. But I, we just see them so many other places in pop culture and media to say that certain things aren't a distraction off the field. We'd be lying to ourselves. Um, you know, we're all human. So that's just some, some stuff that I think about from time to time. Yeah. I mean, I could see that that's a bit of a knock on Rogers because maybe like compare him to those contemporaries, like someone like say Brady, where. He um, seemed to be more focused on football, like to a fault. Um, Rogers is—he lost his family over it. Yeah, pretty much. Like, he had all he had to do was retire at forty-four instead of forty-five. Apparently, and he would have crazy um, kept his wife. But um, I don't know. Obviously, the full details about that. I don't think I can't think of another quarterback. Like I don't remember say Ben Roethlisberger going on podcasts or uh, I mean Philip Rivers has like a lot of kids, but it was never like he was. Um, uh, in commercials and things like that like so i mean there's uh drew Brees. like again like it seems like it's if there there may be a the quarterbacks it's all football and then they're like a family guy and that would be it i think uh russell wilson might be a little bit different i don't know if that's the comparison i would draw just because russell wilson seems to be such a strange person in general like he's had like some of the cringiest you like uh youtube shorts i've ever seen and he someone said once that russell wilson to understand russell wilson you have to understand that he wants to be president one day and it's like I could see that maybe explaining a little bit of the weirdness of Russell Wilson, um, but that'll be interesting. I mean, I we haven't talked about it yet, but yeah, probably Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. That marriage is going to be one of the most interesting ones to see what um, how close they can get to the Sean Payton Drew Brees, uh, con, you know, synergy. Sean Payton, I'm sorry, I'm not believing the the hype about this electric coaching staff that he's bringing with him to Denver. Where, where is this coming from? And now we're interviewing Rex Ryan because Vic Fangio realized he wants to spend his winters in South beach instead of Denver. Like, I'm just like, I, it just cracks me up that there was this, like Sean Payton promised this, Cadillac of a coaching staff and you get bringing in Rex Ryan off of the tabloids. I'm like, really? Like that's what we're, that's the direction we're going. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it, 
I mean, he hasn't been a defensive coordinator in 15 years, but Rex Ryan, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It, he was a really good coordinator. I just don't know that anyone's ever gone this long and then gotten back to it. I guess, like, Dick Vermeil came back as a head coach after being retired for a while, but, and like, Rex was never a great head coach. He was more so just the, he was, like, the best off, best defensive coordinator in the league. So if you wanted him, yeah. you had to give him the head coaching job. That's how we got the Jets and the Bills jobs. But he, yeah, I mean, he went, uh, tactically, He in his peak, he was able to go toe-to-toe with Belichick, but um, not in terms of, like, team building and being a coach, but at least in terms of, like, defensive schemes. So in theory, yeah. you know, maybe he still has it. It's, you know, these guys, I don't know. It, Rex doesn't seem like the kind of guy that, maybe he's a little bit like Aaron Rodgers where he does have a little bit of fun where he got a job in TV. Um he was kind of connected to the New York market a little bit, maybe like kind of enjoyed it because of his personality, but he, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, that would be, I agree. I'm a little bit, um, underwhelmed by what Sean Payne's been able to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Rex Ryan to be a good hire for a defensive coordinator. Um, I don't know that there's anyone out there that would meet his, um, his purported, uh, you know, stature of his coaching staff. He's promised. I'm just curious what what was he talking about when he was saying that he had like look at D'Amico Ryan's he knew who his guys were and he brought them with him Gannon in Arizona he has his whole squad put together already and they kept the incumbent special teams coordinator it's like it it you know, if you're if you're all about your business and you've taken taken a year off to apparently study the game, like wouldn't you have your house in order to make those calls? I'm I'm just surprised to that that's hit, that they're still interviewing for coordinators in Denver. Yeah, um, well, I thought they'd have that buttoned up. If I could go one cross-sport comparison to, I think, what we're talking yeah. about, because between go the young it. guys and some of these older guys, so um, so I went to Villanova, so I'm obviously reeling a bit this year with Jay Wright having retired, but um, <sighs> and they're not really doing that well with Kyle Nefton as a coach, but the reason why I think there's a comparison here, so one of the reasons why Jay Wright retired was he felt like, not that the game was passing him by, but he could only give 80%, and he knew that sure. he didn't want to, like, the... Uh, the school is like saying it's like 80% of Jay Wright is better than 99% of coaches will still love to have you, but he <laughs> didn't want to hang on like someone like coach K did. And mm. it seems like um, a lot of these maybe older quarterbacks, older coaches even are not fully there. Maybe have a little bit, their eyes and on the ball to the same degree. They're resting on their experience a bit. Meanwhile, see, there's the other comparison with Villanova it, you, Jay Wright was, he talked about like the transfer port in, in college. And I won't get into that, what that is for those not familiar with college sports as much, but I'll just say that a new, it was a new tool to play with. And a lot of the younger coaches and the younger talent up and coming were seeing it as a strategic like lever to pull, where yeah. Jay was saying, like, you know, the coach is like, so what is this? Explain this to me. I'm the old guy. Like, it, it if that's D'Amico Ryans is the younger guy that's able to see these new see the changing environment embrace it whereas sean payton is trying to rest on what made him maybe the best uh the second best coach in the league for like from 2006 to 2000 
12 or something like that. And as soon as it's going to keep going and he's going to hire the best defensive coordinator from that time frame, um, it's probably not going to work out that well for him. In my opinion, I wouldn't predict a ton of success there. And look at the division that they're playing in too. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy one to get out of, especially as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are in sync. I think, it, I think it's theirs. It's theirs to lose. They've yeah. proven it. So yep. th- yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I'm grateful for this episode that I was able to kind of hash out some of my ideas with you and you giving me some other perspectives. Cause I mean, that's what, that's what some of these off season episodes are all about is just kind of just looking at what the board is giving us and relationship to all of these things. And that's, I, I like off season because it's an opportunity where the fantasy football podcast can just be a regular football podcast sometimes. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you playing along with a little bit of my uh, my fan fiction and just, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's great to hear things from another fan base's perspective, especially. And I find as, you know, the deeper I go into this stuff, the less of a Packer fan I become because I see just the discrepancies between the way the Packers do things and the way other teams do things and where the Packers could do things better. And I'm sure that as you've done your blog, I mean, I guess it's pretty easy to as a Jets fan, no offense, but it's, I I like Douglas a lot. And I think that he's going to continue writing the ship for you guys. So, yeah, uh, you know, we, at least we hope for, for your sake. Right. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I am a huge fan of Joe Douglas. Like not to say he's um, like earned and in my mind as if this matters, but in my mind, he has almost an unlimited leash right now. Like I think he, he's made savvy trades for the jets. Like not every draft pick has necessarily worked out, but I think at least every draft pick was great. Like almost every pick seems to have been really good value um, to the best we can tell. He's really good at finding spot free agent signings. Uh, The team, you know, the team was seven and four and fell apart because we didn't have a quarterback and, you know, maybe old for one on drafting quarterbacks. Like that's not, you know, no NFL GM is going to say they're, batting a thousand there but i'm really i'm hopeful for the jets i'm most hopeful i've been for the jets since uh 2011 easily because 2011 obviously you're coming off the afc championship back to the afc championship games and we should have in theory kept it going but we were got to what eight and five and then the wheels started to come off and then it was starting to expose the fact that we had spent the last three years with mike tannenbaum as the gm basically trading away draft picks and depth for the players for the starters we traded up for example to get Darrell Revis we traded up to get David Harris we traded um I actually think we uh, uh I mean we traded John Abraham to get like Nick Mangle but that wasn't as, as much of an issue we only had three draft picks when Mark Sanchez was a rookie we had Mark Sanchez Sean Green and Matt Slauson well I ended up being good picks but we only had three picks that year we had a great team for two years but then it fell apart if it, it would have been nice if we had you know maybe Mangini and Rex in there but um, I'm as hopeful as I've been in a long time. Obviously, a quarterback's necessary to bring it there. Although I'll say the um, one thing with fantasy football for me, um, maybe this is less the case in the offseason, but during the season, I find the more fantasy teams I have, the more I'm able to be a football fan because the fantasy teams blend together. Um, <laughs> but in the offseason, I've definitely, um, yeah, it. you begin to, the more you take a look at what teams are doing, the more you be able to, you're able to appreciate the craft. I'd say like as a fantasy manager, you want to 
pay attention to what changes because you'll find some insights. Like if you pay attention to football at all, you'll find some things and you'll have opinions on it. And maybe you'll be wrong more often than you're right on what's valuable or not, but that at least makes fantasy more fun because you have your ideas. They're your ideas as opposed to say just consuming fantasy football and sports media and then picking out your favorite ideas from other people. You want to, having your ideas is really fun. Um, yeah. And then I would say probably do it with the draft too. Like if you can find the time to take a watch a few highlight films for certain college players. Like mm-hmm. I remember um, like, like uh, 2008 um, was the first year I start. I was able to do like watch a lot of that on YouTube and looking at like running backs. I remember thinking to myself, um, Oh, I really like this Justin Forsett. And what do you know? You eventually turn it on. Like, throughout the next few years, I kept trying to say, like, eh, choice between a few guys, like, a few scrubs. I'll take Justin Forsett. And he ended up having at least one or two great years in there within the uh, Seahawks and Ravens. And that was cool. I was able to kind of hang my hat on that. Granted, I also really liked Dontrell Savage, and he did nothing. But um, (laughs) I don't need to talk about that. I just talked about Justin Forsett and how I saw him coming. Yep, that was me and Mark Andrews, um, his second year in the league. Uh, nobody was drafting him. He was at the bottom of the draft. You could have taken him in the last round. I knew what he was capable of at Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield, and you know, he kind of looked at the tight end trajectory, and uh, little did I know Roman was just a, a an addict for throwing the ball to the tight end. Biggest value you could have asked for probably what was that 2018 or 2019 when Mark Andrews came onto the scene. So yeah, it was pretty, it, that was probably the one I can hang my hat on at least, but yeah, more to come. I think, uh, you know, we were going to talk a little college football, but I think we'll go, we'll do that next month because uh, we got a lot of lead time heading up to the draft. I think March will be the big, uh, the big draft, the big draft month. Cause where there is just too much going on with the coaches and coordinators and quarterbacks to talk about and just free agents in general. So I think we covered a lot in this episode and uh, yeah. Uh, Byron, just uh, tell the people where to find you. What are you doing these days? And uh, yeah, board game content, of course, tell the people oh, where yeah. to find it. Yeah, sure. So um, Byron dash cobalt.com is still the home base. Also my Reddit account, you slash Byron Cobalt Twitter uh, handle at Byron Cobalt. Um, that's where to find all the usual stuff. I have some off-season content that's going to be gradually rolling out. Um, although my I have another love of board games. I have them sitting behind me because I like to keep them close. You know, keeps me warm at night. I snuggle up with my um, with a box of uh, you know Cosmic Encounter, and that's how I go to sleep every night. So. Uh, if you're not familiar, uh, modern board gaming isn't just about monopoly and risk. Uh, there is a whole slew of games that are actually fun. And if anyone's looking for something to do that's not tied to a computer screen, check out Hobby Board Games. Reddit Board Games is a pretty good place to start. Um, and you'll end up with a shelf full of games like mine, perhaps. Uh, it's a great way to, you know, it, if you need something to an ex- something to do with with friends that's like competitive and you can get it done in an evening and doesn't require a ton of commitment or a ton of cost investment to get going with it. It's, it's a great hobby. I've been into it since very into it probably the last six years. Uh, I'd probably call myself a board gamer at least for, um, since I was in college though. Nice. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, we're getting 20 inches of snow right now as I speak in Minnesota. So 
great time of year to play a board game. That's for sure. Uh, nowhere to go. Uh, you're, you'll get stuck. So, yeah. But um, regardless of that, Byron, always appreciate you coming on. This has been the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brandon. Join us at phantomsportsindustries.com for all your sports section needs on the internet. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast. We just changed that handle recently. Uh, so not to throw anybody off, but it just made sense for us. And yeah, we'll be looking forward to everybody hopping on the next episode. Ben and I are doing some big litmus tests and those episodes will also be available on the Phantom Sports Industries YouTube channel. So you'll be getting more of those on the social medias accordingly. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe wherever podcasts are found and I'll see you on the next episode. Byron, we'll see you in a couple weeks. See you.